right, as we uh, get ready for uh, the word now, I want to invite Keith Harrington to come forward. One of the benefits of being the pastor, Keith, where'd you go? There he is, Keith Harrington. Uh, One of the benefits of being me is I get the opportunity to introduce you to some people that mean a lot to me. And uh, so I've had a number of uh, men who have really helped establish who I am as a a man. And uh, so I get the opportunity to invite Keith Harrington, who's one of these role models for me, uh, to be able to come up and and preach for us today. Keith is my brother-in-law, so uh, our wives are sisters, and so we're not related by blood, which is good because I don't think he could handle this. Uh, It is by marriage, Um, but uh, he's the guy that I've looked up to for for a number of years, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity to have him here today. And uh, Keith is lead pastor at Rock Harbor Church in Boise, Idaho, and uh, their church plant that is about two and a half, three years old, so they're a little further than we are, and and so that's exciting. So Keith, excited to have you preaching. I'm going to pray for you and then let you jump into it, so... Lord, uh, just thank you for the opportunity to have Keith here today. And Lord, thank you for uh, the, the role model he's been to me. And Lord, just uh, his faithfulness to your word and faithfulness to you. And so Lord, I pray that as he has the opportunity to come and share your word today, Lord, that uh, he would be um, filled with your spirit, Lord, that he would step out of the way and allow you to speak. God, we believe that when your word is being preached, Lord, that it's you that is speaking. So Lord, we pray uh, today, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and uh, that you allowed our hearts to be open to what it is you're going to share with us today through, uh, through your word. And so, Lord, we uh, thank you for this opportunity and pray for your spirit to rest on us as we uh, hear uh, your word being preached and taught now. God, we love you and praise you. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, hey there. Um, I'm just uh, blown away at the opportunity to be able to be here. And so, real quick, this is an amazing building. I don't know if you, I, I want to play hide and seek so bad here. Um, <laughs> it's pretty too, but like there's some cool spots I already found um, with my father-in-law. We were looking earlier. I'm thinking that, that we need to do that one of these days. Just cancel church, big hide and seek kind of thing go on. Um, that's right. Who else is with me? Anyone? Okay. All right. You're on my team. It looks like your name is Dan. Dan, you're on my team. Okay. Um, but no, and also, can somebody take a picture really quick? Because this is the coolest, like, looking place I've ever spoke in my life. Can somebody just, I mean, I'm dead serious. Like, I need a picture of this. Can somebody got a phone? Sheila? What's your name? Anna. Yeah. Anna, would you take a picture of me? I'm going to send this to my mom. Oh, Kevin, you can do this. I can't wait till I send it to my mom. I'm dead serious. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me act like I don't have this. Let me get into it real quick, okay? You got it? Okay, good. All right. I'm sorry. This place is way cooler than the high school we meet in. It's, yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's exciting to be able to be here because from the very beginning of God breathing this passion and heart in Sam and Kevin's life, I've got a chance to, from the outside and then also from the inside as a friend, um, and brother, to be able to see it happen. This is a miracle. It's amazing. I got to be here about a year ago over Thanksgiving and participate in a service. Um, but to be able to be here and speak today, it's, a, it's truly an honor. Um, you guys are very, very blessed. Kevin was saying some things about me, so I'm going to say a couple things about you. Um, but you guys are very blessed because there's people who do ministry. There's pastors and families who do ministry for different reasons. And 
you have a pastor who is gifted, but you also have a pastor who has a heart and a huge heart for this community. Um, I got to come here as a youth pastor with 50 students um, uh, when Kevin was serving at the mission, just, I mean, blocks from here. And to see his heart um, then and to see God multiply it um, from that ministry to this. Some people would say Kevin grew up. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but um, but just to, to be able to witness that. And so that's what's just an honor. The Lord has just blessed you. And you guys are blessed as a church to have a pastor that has a heart for people and a heart for the community. Because some people do it because they've got a skill set. Or some people do it because it's a... It's something they went to school for or something that they're doing because their dad did it or because of different reasons. Um, for me as a pastor, I wonder if I could get a job anywhere else. Um, but I, I see Kevin's heart, and you guys are privileged to have this family um, to be here with you. Um, we both married into a unique family. Um, there's 28 of us, and we go every year to the Oregon coast. And when we go... We rent a house and we all get a room kind of thing. Everybody gets a room and you just jam people in it. Um, we have now six kids. And so we're, we're having more. Hopefully that means we get two rooms. Um, there's a strategy behind it. But, um, but we go on this big trip and everybody gets together and we have these certain traditions and things we do. Um, but one thing we always try to do is take like a family picture and we get everybody together. And about eight years ago, we were taking this family picture and I have it here, um, we're in this little cove in this place called Hidden Beach, and we're ready to take the picture. And you don't understand what exactly is going on here, because what you see is the kids, and what you don't see is the parents. And what I mean by that is you've got four sisters all with the camera and a mother-in-law with the camera. So there's five people taking pictures, and then there's us dads that are just kind of like, okay, I need NyQuil. Um, we're looking for something to sedate us through this process. Um, but this is going on. We're trying to get them all smiling and all going. And as you look at this picture, maybe you've noticed that Jake has a rock in his hand. I've got a little close-up. He's got a rock, and we're thinking, okay, Jake, you probably need to put that rock down. Uh, Jake, you need to put the rock down. Well, he, he put it down, um, but he, he threw it into his cousin's forehead. So, um, Jake, where, would you stand, please? Okay, that's Jake. Where's Sydney at? Sydney, would you stand? Jake, I don't know if you've ever said I'm sorry for that. We're waiting. Okay. All right. Well, that's what happens. You get shots. Some people are like, how do you get a picture of that? Well, when you have five people with cameras, you're going to get every possible picture um, take place. And so you see that, ah, it's just denting right into her head. So we're hoping that he gets a scholarship for that left arm at some point or gets, goes straight to the majors. We don't really care. Um, so what do you do when that happens? You remove Jake from the picture. So we took him out of the picture. But I do want you guys to know, you've got Dawson in the middle doing like some ninja moves. And then, but look at your pastor's kids. Okay, keep going forward. Look at this. Look at Cameron on the top left with the blue shirt on. He's just chilling. Now he does have a sunburn because his dad didn't put sunscreen on for four days straight. So, um, and then same with Jackson. He had a sunburn as well. Nice work, Kevin. Um, but Jackson's on the right in, in the orange, but just perfectly well-behaved. And go to the next one. Look at that. They're just chilling. They're just well-behaved. So there's some pastor's kids like mine who have issues, and then there's Kevin. So you guys are blessed in more than, more than one way. Sam and Kevin do a great job with the kids. But 
it's like herding gerbils, you know, when you're with this big of a group and and maybe you feel like that in, in your, your church plant and you feel like, okay, what's going on? And there's things all over the place. And I have nothing but appreciation for this group just sitting here. I mean, you guys are singing music and I'm wanting to cry the whole time because I know what the Lord is doing. And I get to see certain things and I get to come from an outside perspective and walk into a space and see everybody setting up this morning and the hearts that it takes. And I know like what it means for those of you guys who serve like watching kids on Christmas Eve and those who got here early to set up and take care of things and to drive a trailer over. And then somebody right now, I can't remember her name. Her husband likes the Cowboys. She likes the Packers, but she's in this room back here watching kids. Um, What's her name? Shauna? Yeah, she's serving right now. And many of you, that's what you've been doing with your life. So I just want you guys to be encouraged um, that what you're doing is in, incredible inter- eternal work. And so I want to come alongside that and just speak to that. I also know that for some who've come in, it's, it may be uh, the Christmas season, and there's a lot of get-togethers with families, but there's, maybe it's been a tough year, or maybe it's been a tough life, and you feel a lot of brokenness. Today we're going to be talking about brokenness. Um, so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, we'll be on We'll be in Second Samuel chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Um, we're going to be studying the life of a man by the name of Mephibosheth. And I want to say that right, because that could get real dangerous and dicey. Um, but a man by the name of Mephibosheth. It could be worse, because my favorite Bible name is Mahashal al-Hashbaz. And you guys can see that. Who would like to say that with me? Kids, you're in here. Everybody, you ready? Mahershal Ahashbaz. Okay, it could, it could be worse than Mephibosheth. But um, that's where we're going to be in Second Samuel 4.4. 4. Okay, here we go. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was, a, who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and she fled. And she fled in her haste. She fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So he's five years old. Just imagine that, being five years old, all of a sudden, there's panic, there's things going on. Um, you're in the courtyard playing in the palace. You know, his dad's a prince, his grandfather is, is the king. And then all of a sudden, there's crazy amount of haste. The nurse takes you, you fall, um, your legs are broken. You're finding out that your dad and your grandfather have died. I mean, it's just like that quick of information. If you look at some background here, we've got... Mephibosheth, who is the, his, his grandfather is Saul, who's the king of Israel. His dad is Jonathan, who is Saul's son, and he's a prince. And then you have David, who's going to become the king after Saul. So that shows a little bit of the family tree of what we're going to be talking about today. So what would happen in those days is once the king would die, they immediately would usher in the new king. So they're like moving the family up. So they're just, they're grabbing them and they're gone. And it, sometimes they would actually kill the family. They would take certain people from the family. They may be concerned about what they're going to do, whether they're going to commit to the new regime, they're going to commit to the new king and leadership. And so they would actually destroy, they would actually kill them. And so this is going on, well, in the haste of getting out of there to save the lives of the children, um, this accident takes place. And so imagine what's going on in this five-year-old's head. All of a sudden now he's injured, his dad, his grandfather, uh, passed away, and he used to live in a palace, and now he's being ushered into some place that's far off. 
but there's a new king that's come in. And this new king that's going to come in is his dad's very best friend. So his dad was Jonathan, but this new king was King David. And David and Jonathan had a relationship for quite some time. Well, David was famous. I mean, David had killed a lion and a bear. David had killed Goliath. And people knew that. I mean, he was like this up and coming. He was a warrior. He was a king. He was set apart by God and everyone knew that. But it's all like coming down to where the reality of it's taking place. And I can see, I mean, there was even a song going on that said David, that, that Saul had killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And I don't know what kind of bass track that went to, if it was a, <laughs> and then people would chant it. I don't know exactly what went on, but this is taking place. And it's kind of like the new is being ushered in. So maybe for you guys who are here, if, um, being a Seahawks fan, maybe it's the taking down of Hasselback and putting up the Russell Wilson poster. You know, it's kind of the change of the guard where you're like, hey, this is the old, but this is the new that's coming in. And maybe that's what's happening with David and Saul. Like Saul was losing his popularity and David was, was coming in. Um, but regardless of that, even though this was a king and it was selected by God, this was his family and his life had been completely changed. Like in two minutes, in two minutes time, he went from being like, the life that he got to live, living in that palace and enjoying all of that. to now all of a sudden, it's just different. All of a sudden, he's cast aside. All of a sudden, he's forgotten. And I would ask this question. I think there's a lot we can relate to within Mephibosheth. And maybe you have a Mephibosheth moment where within two minutes or within two days or within two months, something significantly, drastically changes in your life. Maybe there's been a serious illness that has touched your life or touched some way that's close to you. Maybe there's a person that you thought you could trust that relationship has since dissolved or they have bailed on you. Maybe you've lost your job and the prospects for future employment, they're just not there right now. So that would be your moment. Maybe you've lost your sense of direction and your purpose in life. Maybe you were on mission and you were excited and now all of a sudden you don't know what exactly has taken place. Maybe you deal with fear, and there's a gripping fear that's inside of you that overwhelms you. I know that's very, very real. Many of us, we can struggle and have anxiety when it comes to fear for fear of what the future may hold. Or maybe what, that, that, that sense of fear when it comes to our children as we raise them, just as, as moms or as dads going, I want to provide for them, I want to take care of them, or what if something happens um, but the anxiety can come in. Maybe it's a, a fear of, of death. Maybe it's a fear of, of failing, having, um, making a commitment and not being able to fulfill it. Or if you step out and start that business or you step out and try to change a lifestyle within your family and then you fail in that. And maybe you've been through a time of, of suffering. We can relate to Mephibosheth in this. The thing is, is with Mephibosheth, years go by. Years. In fact, 16 years go by. Never helped and just broken. See, he was handicapped and his legs never healed. And to be handicapped in that culture was, def- was definitely different than ours. Um, today, it's still in- incredibly difficult. But today we have modern medicine. We have research. We have provisions that, can, that are made um, for us. It can be different Mephibosheth felt cast aside, forgotten. The hard truth is, and we need to remember this, is that God takes us through trials, not around them. How many can relate to that? Like God has taken you through a trial, not around it. Because we're always looking for a shortcut. We're going, 
God, can you just get, I know we're, I, I trust you through it all, but can you just like, can you get me around this? God, can you, why, why, am I, why am I still in this? You know my heart. You know where I'm at. You know that I'm submitted. Like, you're, you're God. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But can't we just get to where we're going to end up in the long run? But God wants to take us through a trial because he wants to bring us through a process so that we can better understand him. We have to learn to trust his goodness because he can turn our discouragement into a blessing. Romans 5 says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you hear the process of not, this is the through, not around. See, around would be something like, I went from suffering to God's love. And that doesn't write the story that God wants to write in our hearts and in our lives. Suffering to endurance, endurance to character. Character then produces hope, and all of it produces the love of God, which is all that essentially matters. See, God's timing in these trials are really important, and I think the Scripture shows us, God's Word shows us over and over how God's timing is perfect. You look in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That even when God sent his only son, see, there was, there was generations and, and thousands and thousands of years and decades that took place prior, prior to Jesus coming. But in the perfect time, God sent his only son. God has a timing for everything. Psalm 51, which David wrote during his time that he was confessing his sin and making his, his life right with God, says this, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. I wonder what that verse specifically meant. That words penned by David meant to Mephibosheth. See, he literally had had his bones broken. And David says, let me hear joy and gladness and let the, jo- the bones that you have broken rejoice. That's saying like, let those trials, those things that you can't control. That re- I mean, this is real. Those relationships that you come to this time of the year and it's just like that feeling of difficulty with family members or that, I mean, it may be joy to the world, but it ain't joy in your world, right? You're going, this is really difficult. I really struggle with these people. I really struggle with this situation that has happened in my past or my spouse made a decision. My ex made a decision. My child has made a decision that it's extremely, extremely difficult. How do we allow those broken things in our life to rejoice? See, God's timing's perfect. He brings about blessing in his timing. See, I can speak for Kevin and I can speak for others in this room that I know have worked in student ministry. That when you're serving teenagers, they don't often think about thanking you. Ever, ever. Right? They're just like, what's next? What are we doing next? And I remember like serving, 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 and then all of a sudden, like maybe years later or maybe never, that gratitude comes. And it's like that being a parent. All the sacrifice, all the sacrifice. You maybe even experienced that in the last couple of days where all gifts have been given, and then it's like it's never enough. I'm bored. Well, you're bored. Uh, get over here. Let me chop you um, real quick. Just a, just a little chop to the neck. Um, <laughs> I should have said that. Um, <clears throat> I don't chop my kids. Um, in fun, but never, yeah. Anyways, um, 
where was I at? Um, but learning to, learning to trust God's timing. And because we want to receive the gratitude, we want to get the vision, we want to get to the next thing, we want to enjoy the fruit of being patient and, and serving. 2 Samuel 9, 1. Here we go. And David said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 16 years later, all of a sudden, David's asking this question. It's God's timing. See, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may know the kindness of God in him? Uh, Show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where's he at? See, Jonathan was David's greatest friend. Jonathan could have been jealous because he was supposed to be like from a generational thing. He should have been the next king, but instead it was David. But he still allowed this friendship. He still sought this friendship. He still poured into this friendship. He knew that David was going to be the king and he understood that. He recognized God's favor in that and he in fact supported that. See, Jonathan asked like, hey, would you show kindness to my family? They made this pact when they were young, 16 years prior. It says this, um, Samuel 20, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that, it, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. Years later, years later, this memory, this pact, this commitment that they made, it wasn't like this, this bro handshake kind of a thing, but it was like, I know that you're going to be king, and will you take care of my family when that time comes? Because Jonathan knew how it worked. Once the old king was gone, this new one came in, and they were disposed of. And now David comes looking. The king said to him, where is he? Well, you know where Mephibosheth is? The nurse fled with him. His legs are broken, and he's in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar, which means place of no bread. So he went from this palace life to a place that's called no bread. Like, this is like ain't no Panera. You know what I'm saying? This is like the place of no bread, which literally means the place of no bread. So in First, uh, first Chronicles, um, Mephibosheth, his name has changed. The name Meribel was his original name, and this was you of royal lineage. So this was the first name that he was given. And then his name transitioned to Mephibosheth which is son of shame or shameful thing. That's discouraging. To know that your name has went from royal lineage to now son of shame. And you're broken and you're forgotten about. See, he's no longer a kid. He's now approximately about 21 years old. He's no longer this kid that's, I mean, he is an adult that's to be providing and taking care of the needs of his family. And now the king's calling him out. Do you not think he's stressed out now? He's, he doesn't know why the king's calling him out. He's thinking, David has found out about me. He now knows that I have some things. I have some possessions. I have some property. And he's coming after me because I made it out. And he's also looking at his life and going, it's David's fault. He's probably looking and going, okay, David came in and I moved out. And now I'm broken and now I'm set apart. It's David's fault that this has happened. And now David's going to come and he's going to kill me. He wants me dead. And this is where the story takes an unlikely turn in verse 5. 
2 Samuel. See, when, when David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amaliel, at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you, restore to you all the land of Saul, your, your father, and you shall always eat at my table. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Notice, when he's given and he's extended from David that you should always eat at my table, his response is, why would you show regard to a dead dog such as I? See, all these years of hiding, all these years of being broken and forgot about, 16 years has brought on an incredible feeling of worthlessness. Do you feel worthless? Do you feel inadequate? I mean, this is, this is like real. This isn't just like a Bible story. This is a real person's life. And your life is real. Because you may sit here and say, you know, I feel the same way. I, I used to have a dream. And then my Mephibosheth moment came in. I used to have this sense of desire, this sense of passion, this sense of purpose. But it's, it's changed. I used to have these relationships. But now it's gone. See, everything that he had thought of David was wrong. And we do the same thing with people, and we do the same thing with God. See, maybe you've looked at a situation that's happened in your life, and you've blamed, or you've looked to God and said, God, why did you allow this to happen? Maybe you look to people, and you're like, God, why did you put this person in my life to simply hurt me? God, are you trying to kill me? God, can you possibly, are you, are you even interested in possibly using me? And we can carry this deep sense of bitterness or discouragement or guilt about something that's happened. We can look at God and think that God is just wanting to strike us down or wanting to put us through pain. Maybe you have a secret that's, that's haunting you or some discontentment in your heart and life. I just want you to know that God's desire for you is to bring you hope. And I pray that this story of Mephibosheth, you can, you can look at that. You can look at this time and the season that we're in that Emmanuel, God has come and he's with us. He's with us through that trial, not just around that trial, but he's here with us and there's hope from him. See, all of a sudden, everything changes. Mephibosheth is given his grandfather's land, everything that Saul owns. He has 35 students, all the, or students, he has 35 servants, Maybe he has 35 students too. I don't know. Maybe he's a smart dude. Um, but he's got all of these servants. Now everybody's serving him. And he eats regularly. He's been invited regularly to the king's table. See, dozens of years of pain, dozens of years of suffering, separation. See, we love these kinds of stories. We love the endings to these types of stories. These are the ones that we want to go to those movies. We want to go check out that movie, the, the movie of, of hope, the movie of triumph and going through a tribulation. What's a movie like that that you can think of that starts and it's just like, ugh, and then it's like, yes. Who said one? Yeah. Bear? Bears? Okay. Bears the movie. That sounds, not the football team. <laughs> they haven't had a good season since 1985. Okay. Um, but yeah, Bears the movie. What else? Dana, did... You were talking about last night, the notebook. Was that the one you were saying? I can't remember. It was one of those. Um, pretty woman. I can't remember what it was, but Forrest Gump. <laughs> That's good. 
Yeah, um, and maybe for the guys in here, like, I don't get emotional when I watch movies or anything. Bull. Because you watch ESPN specials that it shows this triumph, and then you're like, she made the shot. I can't believe she made the shot. You know, and you watch this whole thing, and you see the triumph and tribulation of a team. I mean, you, you guys watch Seahawks from last year. You watch the highlights, and you're just like weeping. You know, Peach Carroll is chomping his drum, and you're just like, it's the most amazing thing ever. You know, you're wearing your jersey and your onesies and the whole deal. So, but we like those stories. We like the story of adversity and tribulation, and then you see on the other end it take place. And you know why? Because it's, it's a story you want for your life. Because you know the trial that you've been in. It's your story. It's what you're praying towards. It's what you're asking God to do in your heart and in your life. So you know what? We're just a bunch of Mephibosheths. Because this is a true story. This is an, an allegory for what Christ has done for you and I. First off, we're fallen and broken. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all fallen and broken just as he was. Second, we're pursued passionately by a king. We're sought after by a king. John three seventeen says, For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, John three sixteen gets so much credit. That's a great verse. Did you hear what it said? He didn't send his son to condemn. So just as Mephibosheth is sitting there and David's calling out for him, he's thinking, oh, what's going to happen? And why is he now calling me out? No, he sent his son. He sent a message to us in order that through him we might be saved. Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. See, the message that you guys hold as a church, why your church is called Restoration. I was afraid I was going to call you Rock Harbor because it's like one and the same. Because the exact same mission and the purpose behind the exact, the, the, the name of the churches is the exact same. See, Rock Harbor is called Rock Harbor because we're based on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And a harbor is a safe place for people to come into. But not just that, it's a place for people to go out of and to seek and save those who are lost. That's what Restoration is. It's to seek and to save those who are lost. Why? So they would have that story. The story of look what God did in my life. Where only God can get the credit for that. That's why we exist. We exist for the compromised. We exist for the broken. We exist for the hungry. That's our mission. That's our calling. We also get the opportunity to sit at the king's table. And the king's table covers our sin. I want to illustrate this for us um, quickly because this is what has taken place. See, getting invited to the king's table. What does that look like? So you got your, your table and maybe this time of the year you've gotten the opportunity to enjoy a meal with some people and with a family where you're sitting at a really nice table. This maybe isn't a nice table and, and these maybe aren't the nicest of dishes. I stole them from the basement, but it's no big deal because I'm going to leave by the time the police get here. So, um, but you get the chance to sit at tables like this. So you're sitting at a big old table and you get the opportunity to enjoy a meal with somebody. And when Mephibosheth gets invited to David's table, there's a couple of reactions that take place. So he's sitting here in a place that he feels like he is a dead dog. 
There's no place for him. There's no reason he should be at this table. But now he's here. So as David sits across the table, what does he see? What does he see as the best friend of Jonathan? His friend whom he lost in a battle 16 years prior. He now has his son sitting at this table. You know what he sees? He sees his friend. He looks into his eyes. He watches his gestures. He watches how he eats and how many other times, maybe how he clinks his plate that just drives people crazy. You know, like, ah, don't do that. Right? Maybe just his laughter, his mannerisms, the way that he talks. You know why? Because we've been wired for relationship. So him sitting there with his friend is, he's gone through that trial and he's on the other side and getting to enjoy that. That's why grandparents are so crazy. Like they get to see this grandkid. That's this combination of people that reminds them of when their kid was that age. And they look at their sons and their daughters and they go, man, I used to be at that point. And there's something special about remembering. You know, we don't need any more new messages for churches. We just need to remember. Why do you think we celebrate communion so often and so passionately? Because it reminds us of what has been done for us. So he's sitting there as a friend and he's looking across the table. You know what else he's doing? As a king, he's looking across the table. And you know what he sees as a king? He sees a son. And you know what he doesn't see? He doesn't see a crippled man. His legs are not seen. And I hope you hear that. Like, as he sits there, he's not looking and going, oh, this is a less than individual. This is somebody who's been broken. This is somebody who is of no use to society. Because in those days, like, they would take people with sickness and put them outside the city. They would take orphans. They would take child's children that were unwanted and place them outside of the city gates for anybody to take them or for animal, whatever. It didn't matter. And I know that's, that's horrible. But those were the realities in that day. There was no place for Mephibosheth except for where? At the king's table. So you need to know that no matter what your past is, no matter what your hurt is, there is a place and there is a space. And you may feel forgotten and broken. And I want you to know that you are chosen and invited. Do you hear that? Chosen and invited. There's a couple of scriptures that I would like to close with. See, it goes on to share a couple of things. Second Samuel 9.13 says, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, and he always, for he ate always at the king's table. And that same invitation has been given to you and I in Luke 22. It says, I assign to you as my father assigned to me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. The same invitation is given to you, and it's to all of you, to all of us. See, the thing about grace that Mephibosheth is just enjoying, and that you and I, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you've come into a relationship with him, not because you performed your way, but you, because you've received the gift of Christ, the scandal of grace, it's crazy. It's not who it keeps out. That's not the scandal. It's who it lets in. There's room at the table for you, no matter what you've done. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one would boast. See, Mephibosheth, he couldn't do anything to earn David's favor. He just had to simply receive. He had to be adopted into as he was chosen and set apart to sit at this table. That's what God's grace is. It's undeserved, but it's been given to you and I. Would you bow your heads with me? You may think that you're broken and useless, but you are chosen and invited. See, David made the first move to rescue Mephibosheth. Just as God reaches out to us in his grace. See, you coming to God, you confessing your sin was not your idea. It was God's work in your heart and your mind. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. It goes on to say, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're condemned no longer. So no matter if you feel broken and you feel forgotten, just know that there's freedom in salvation. There's freedom in Jesus Christ. And just right where you're sitting, coolest thing ever, there's a guy that came up to me a couple weeks ago at our church and he said, you know what? You know what next week is? And I was like, Christmas? He said, no, it's one year. I said, one year? He goes, yeah, one year since I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. See, this time of year and this season that we're in, it's special because it's crazy how our minds turn to being about Jesus. I know we can get busy with stuff, but when we recognize all that he's done for us, it should humble us. And to know right now where you're seated, seated, seating, whatever you're doing right now, if you're standing or sitting, if God is moving in your heart, just invite you. He's, he's calling you to the table, but for you to surrender because Mephibosheth had to make a decision whether or not he'd go to the table or not. If God is moving on your heart to surrender your life to him, I invite you to do that right now. There's not any certain prayer or words, just a prayer of surrender for who Jesus is, that he lived, came to us, that he perfectly lived, and he died a cruel death, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. That's what salvation is, and I invite you to surrender your heart to Christ right now. God, thank you for your word, for your truth, for giving us the life of David and of Mephibosheth to learn and to enjoy. Thank you that even in the brokenness, even in the trial, that you have been faithful and nothing but faithful. God, thank you that you come after, you seek, and you pursue as a gracious king to adopt, to invite, to make sacrifice for. You call us from darkness to light. It's your work alive in us. God, I pray for the hearts and lives right now that are surrendering to you, whether it's just a mess that they happen to be living or the mess of sin that has kept them separated from your love. Your son has come to mediate for us. 
Thank you for bringing the gift to us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, just as they, they strum, um, I'm going to share something that I got to share with our church as I communicated sentiments of this, this message. And a couple things I noticed was that Mephibosheth, he was, he was broken to bless. He went from brokenness to blessed. And David was blessed to bless. He was blessed graciously so that he would then bless. And, and that's where I kind of want to, I didn't really ask Kevin's permission, um, but I haven't gotten tackled by security, so I'm going to go ahead and finish this. Um, are you David? Are you David where you've been blessed in ways and you're taking the step to, to bless other people? See, David wasn't perfect, but he was generous. And I think that um, when we look, I mean, David, he had had an affair. He had different things going on. But he was a man after God's heart, and he had received that grace. And in receiving that grace, he began to share that grace. Be honest with yourself. Are, are you, can you say that you've been blessed and that you're faithfully blessing others? Do you allow God's resources to flow through you? Are you a man or a woman of your word? Uh, this is real. When you say something, do you actually do it? I know you don't know me. But I pray that if you struggle with honesty, if you make commitments that you don't fall through with, that 2015 will be different. That you're making a decision, December 28th, you know what? I want to follow through with commitments that I make to God. Commitments that I make to other people. Have you made a commitment? Are you falling through with your commitment to generously give? To allow, to be generous with the gospel. I think 2015 is going to be the greatest year at Restoration Church. I really do. It's been awesome. Like a year and a year and six months or seven months it's been going. It's been amazing to see God multiply people and multiply families and multiply encouragement. It's just been really cool. But I think 2015 has the ability, but guess what it's going to be based on? The Lord's work. And God's work in you. To be faithful. To be faithful. The thing we talk about at Rock Harbor is to gather, scatter, and matter. And we're going to be faithful in our gathering together. We're going to multiply in that. We're going to scatter into life groups, community groups, Bible study, whatever you guys call your groups. We'll be faithful in that. That you'll be faithful in giving of gifts and serving. You'll be faithful in your generosity. I mean, from a financial standpoint, are you invested I hope this is okay. I'm not getting a commission. <laughs> I'm not getting jack squat. I just feel like I wanted to be able to, you know, share this from my heart. Because that, that's what God blesses. God blesses the faithfulness in this area of generosity. And David's life was multiplied. He's a man after God's own heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I don't say this because of something that I would want for you, from you. It's what I want for you. I believe that. I believe that we're to be generous because David remembered a commitment that he had made and he followed through on it. And guess what he got? He got everything that he thought that he lost in a friend. He now has Mephibosheth sitting at a table and he gets to look across the table at him. And he also gets to reflect on the graciousness of his king, the king of kings. Hey, I, I appreciate, and I don't know you guys a lot, but I sincerely love you guys. I love your pastor. I love the church and the leaders and the people that I've got to meet this morning. I can't wait to see what God does in 2015. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, 
to share with you.